It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today's audio comes from our service on August 15th, Sunday, in downtown Covington. And this is part two of a series we're doing on prayer. Today we're going to be looking at intercession, praying for others. I'd also like to remind you that our devotionals this week on our website as as have been following the last couple of weeks, we are looking into the scriptures that talk about prayer. So if you need some help on praying, you can follow along with our daily devotionals posted at northshorevineyard.org. And we have those posted Monday through Friday. So check those out. And also like to remind you that if you're interested in our small groups, they are only going on for about two more weeks before we shut them down for the summer. So you can check out directions to those on our website. So thanks for listening. Let's go off to the service. I announced last week we're starting a new series called Prayer. Um, it's a real catchy title. Uh, and we're going to be looking into this aspect of the Christian life, which does anybody ever have trouble praying in here besides me? I think most people, if they're honest, prayer is a difficult thing, but yet it's such a, a huge part of the Christian faith. And so we're going to be kind of spending a few weeks camping out on, on what it means to pray. So if you weren't here last week, I, I recommend you go to our website and catch the message because we talked about uh, kind of the battle of prayer, spiritual warfare, and, and who our enemy ultimately is. And last week, uh, I, I made the statement that as Christians, our ultimate enemy is never human beings, but it's always Satan. You know, w- your boss may seem like your enemy. Your wife may seem like your enemy. Your mother-in-law, uh, the government may s- seem to be your enemy, but ultimately, our, our true enemy is what Paul refers to as the God of this age, Satan, the devil who blinds the hearts of men. So as we're praying, we got to keep that in mind because I, I think our enemy loves to see it when we as Christians start attacking people and when we start opposing them thinking they're the ultimate enemy. So we covered that last week. That's a little recap. Today I want to look at the idea of intercession. So I'm going to bring up a, a, a heavy theological question and see if, if anybody's had this question before. Um, first question is, why pray? Have you ever, has anybody ever wondered this before? You, you've heard the doctrines of God's omnipotence, omniscience, God's all-powerful, all-knowing, God's in control. If that's the case, then why do we pray? Does anybody else wonder these things besides me? Okay, am I the only one? Because you feel better. Because God commanded. Okay, those are good answers. Uh, well, those are answers. I don't think they're real satisfying answers, you know, because it's, it's kind of, if you're like me, I kind of wonder, like, okay, if God's controlling every, every little detail of everything all the time, if it's all just going out to some kind of uh, blueprint, then it just seems like a game. You know, like, you know, even Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, he says, uh, when talking on prayer, he says, your father knows what you need before you even ask. And, and so sometimes you can think, like, okay, if God knows everything, and if God's already planned out every detail, and if God's already doing everything, then prayer just seems kind of like pointless. I mean, really, if God's going to do what he wants, then why do I have to even bother? Am I the only one who struggles with that? 
Okay, I'm, I'm feeling alone up here. Well, I, to, to answer this question, or at least to touch on it, now, understand theologians have spent, uh, I've, got, I've got volumes this thick, uh, several of them in my office of people trying to deal with questions like this, and, and we're going to try to cover this in five minutes, so um, obviously we can have more discussions uh, down the road. But I, I want I to cover basically the whole Bible here real quick. Um, back in Genesis 1, Verse 27 through 28, and I didn't put this on the slide, but it's not much. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We find in these verses in Genesis, we find kind of man's original purpose, his original design. Humans were created in God's image, and they were given authority by God to to rule on God's behalf. They were given a job to do. These are your blanks, by the way. They were given authority, a job, and finally, they were given free will. Those Those are the only three blanks. You'll be tested on this next week. Humans were created first in God's image. Let's look at that for a second. You know, if, if you, uh, these words in Genesis, they don't tend to hit us with the same amount of punch that they probably would have hit people throughout history, particularly a couple thousand years ago. If you go into areas that were controlled by Rome, the Roman Empire, you'll find that in the further extents of the Roman Empire, there's a lot of statues of Caesar. A lot more statues of Caesar in in the outlying areas of the Roman Empire than you find in Rome. You know why that is? Well, it's because the Roman Emperor, as a symbol of his authority, he would set up images of himself everywhere they conquered. So when they conquered Greece, they'd set up some statues of him. When they conquered Great Britain, they'd set up statues of Caesar. The image of Caesar would would show the the subjects that they were a subject people, that there was a ruler, a lord over them. His name was Caesar. I remember the, uh, of course you do, uh, a few years ago when the Iraq war, the, the second Iraq war started. Uh, as soon as Saddam's government was toppled, I remember one of the first images on the, on the news. Y'all remember this? They, they, they found that statue of Saddam. And what did they do? They pulled it down. Why did they do that? Did they hate statues? Is there some kind of, no. It was a symbol of the authority of Saddam Hussein. And they were saying, we're no longer under this guy. They, they took his image down. Same thing happened in Russia uh, with Stalin and, and, and various dictators from around the world. Uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> and uh, so in, in the same way that, that these emperors have put their image in various places where they rule, where they subject people, God has set man in his own image as a symbol of his authority. But he's also given man the job of ruling. You know, a lot of times we think of, have you ever had this thought before? It just may be me. I I kind of grew up with this idea of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they're hanging out naked, eating grapes, lounging around on hammocks. You ever had that idea? Is it just me? I I was sick, you know. (laughs) 
It always kind of struck me as weird, but, you know, I guess. uh, But, you know, Adam and Eve weren't hanging around. They had a job to do. The Garden of Eden wasn't just some kind of uh, eternal vacation. There was a job to do. God put them in the garden and gave them a job. I want you to rule over the fish, the birds, the animals. I want you to take care. I want you to be stewards of creation. So they actually had a job to do. And they were naked. Um, I don't know where I'm going with all that. Um, (laughs) So they had a job. They had authority given to them by God. But they also had free will. And they used their free will to step out of line with God. So, so understand, God didn't create robots. He didn't create people who would just, because God loves and because God values relationship, God creates humans with this capacity of free will. And he gives them the choice. He gives them the choice. This is what I've called you to. This is the job, the authority, everything that I've called you to do and created you for. And you can do this or you can disobey me. The choice is up to you. And so what did they do? They willingly disobey God, disobey God's plans. They step out of line with that and give over their authority to the enemy. So when we go throughout the Old Testament, we get up to Matthew chapter 4. So we went through the Old Testament quick. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, we see the temptation of Jesus. And the third temptation of Jesus, it says, The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And what does he say? He says, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Satan tells Jesus, see all this? It's yours if you just bow down and worship me. How, can, how come Satan can say that? <laughs> like, I own all this, but I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. How come Jesus doesn't argue with him? How come Jesus doesn't say, you don't own all this. God owns all this. Because Satan... In the Garden of Eden, man gave over his authority. He gave over his call. He gave over everything God called him to, to the enemy, when he stepped out of line with God. So when Jesus comes on the scene, Satan's not lying here. He says, all the kingdoms of the earth, they're mine. (laughs) I rule them. I'll give them all to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus doesn't bow down and worship him, or that would have been the end of the story, and things would have been bad. (laughs) You know, the Apostle Paul actually, he talks about Jesus being the second Adam. You ever heard that before? Apostle Paul says that the first Adam, through the first Adam, there was uh, sin that came into the world. Sin and death came into the world through the first created human who disobeyed God. But he said Jesus is the second Adam through which life is going to come to many. So Jesus comes into a story that is being dominated by evil. Satan has wrestled the kingdoms. He's, he's wrestled man's uh, authority away from him. God given authority, what God had called man to do. He's taken that away, his calling, and now he's ruling. And Jesus enters into that story and, and, and begins to take that away by bringing the kingdom of God. So, in a way, what Jesus is doing is restoring man back to God's original intended purpose. See, if you look at the, you know, a lot of people think that Christianity is simply about going to heaven when you die. If you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't talk about, hey, say this prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus talks about, no, you live your life in such a way that heaven comes here. 
that we bring the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God begins to break through. What does it look like when the kingdom of God comes? Well, what did it look like with Jesus? It looks like people getting healed. It looks like people getting set free who are oppressed. It looks like people who had no relationship with God who all of a sudden they're connected back to God and they get to know that God loves them. So Jesus, in restoring this original purpose of humans, he, he gives the great commission, you know, right before he ascends to heaven in Matthew twenty eight nineteen, He tells his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So back in, in the beginning of the Bible, God says, I want you to rule over creation, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Now Jesus comes on the scene. The last thing he does after showing a new creation of of how people can be connected to God, he says, go forth into all the nations and make disciples. Again, what Jesus is getting at is, it's not that you just hang around, you pray a prayer, and you go to heaven when you die. There is a job to get done. We all have a job. Which brings me back to the original question. Why pray if, if God's in control of everything? Well, God is absolutely the authority over everything, and he's omniscient, and he's all-powerful. But God has created, part of God's loving nature is that he creates people with free will, and he does not violate that. You know, when people violate free will... Bad things happen. <laughs> Rape, murder, violence. God's not like that. God is a God of love. And so when Jesus says in Matthew six ten the, the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray this way. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Why does he say that? Because look around you. <laughs> Watch the evening news. Things are not the way God intends them to be. You realize that? Anybody notice that lately? I, I, I can't hardly even watch the evening news. I got I to gotta ration myself. I can watch it like once a week. I can't believe the amount of murder going on in New Orleans. Every day it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it just breaks my heart. The poverty, the corruption. You know, we think of heaven many times as kind of this, this place way off up there in the clouds. But understand, heaven... The understanding that the the Hebrew people would have had is that not just that heaven's out there, but heaven is just simply the realm where God, everything is as God intends it to be. It's It's the dwelling place of God. So when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that the way things are where God is, we want that manifested in the here and now. And so what does that mean? That means we pray for people to get healed. Because you know where God is? Ain't any sick people. <laughs> we pray for, for, for people to be restored to right relationship. Because you know what? In God's, where God is, there's perfect relationship. So we pray precisely because things aren't as God wills them. And aren't as God. You know, God is, God is in command. He's in authority. But he's not con- controlling everything on earth as if it's a bunch of chess pieces. He's actually called us to be a part of his kingdom coming. He's actually called us to be players. And to me, that's a heck of a lot more exciting than just, hey, all he wants you to do is pray a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. (laughs) He actually wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. 
So that's a very limited laying of the foundation of why we pray. And we could, we could probably spend weeks on, on some of those issues. And there's a lot smarter people who've delved into that a lot deeper. But I want to talk about intercession. Intercession, I put the definition there, is the action of intervening on behalf of another. The action of saying a prayer on behalf of another person. When we intercede for someone, we're intervening into their life. We're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping in to what they're experiencing, and I'm lifting them up before God. If you were at the small groups this week, our, uh, I kind of got that slide a little screwed up, huh? Um, well, I'll read it to you. First uh, Timothy, uh, the, the scriptures we covered in small group this week is First Timothy 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to read it first in the NIV and then secondly in the message. Paul is writing to Timothy, a guy he's discipled to be a church planner. And, he, and, and Timothy is trying to be a pastor now. And he's trying to plan a church. And so Paul is sending him this, this first letter to encourage him and, and help him out on the things he needs to do. So he says, he says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed as a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith of the gentle Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. That's the NIV. I want to read it in the message because I think it, it, it helps clarify some of these things a little bit easier. Paul says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for the rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our business of living simply and in humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. He wants us not only, not, he wants not only us, but everyone to be saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned, that there's one God and only one, and only one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually, the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. Since prayer is at the bottom of all this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but by raising holy hands to God. So in these verses, we find the first thing that Paul tells Timothy, the first word of wisdom he has to this young church planner who's trying to deal with, with planning and pastoring a new church, he says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray everywhere. Pray all the time and pray for everybody. But he says, especially pray for rulers and authorities. Authorities are kind of hard to pray for, aren't they? 
You ever have a hard time praying for authorities? Authorities can be anyone in your life from your boss to the police officers to the president. And I find a lot of times authorities have a way of kind of getting under our skin, don't they? Anybody anybody ever have a hard time with your boss before? I, 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 what church am I at here? I'm going to stop preaching. Uh, authorities, they're hard to pray for. Our, our initial inclination is not to pray for authorities because they ask us to do things we don't want to do. They pull us over when we're speeding. <laughs> they come up with policies and practices and government that we disagree with. And our initial inclination is not to pray for them. But Paul says, out of all your praying, especially pray for those who are in authority, who are rulers. Secondly, Paul says, pray for folks to encounter Jesus, because God wishes that all people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. If you're, if you're new here today, the last few weeks, I, we, we started this new faith experiment called Pick Six. And I asked that everybody in here pick six people and pray for them. Is anybody listening to my authority on this? Oh. <laughs> and so I said that for six to eight weeks, we're going to just pray for six people and see if God might show up and do something in their life. So every day I'm praying for these six people. And I got, I got one person I'm praying for who's, who's got some physical issues. And so I'm praying that God's going to heal this person. There's another person I'm praying for that has relational brokenness, you know, just going through a rough time. So I'm praying for God to do some healing there. Got other people I'm praying for who are suffering in financial problems. So I'm praying that God would do that. But you know, the, the core of all my prayer, Jesus, reveal yourself to them in this. You know, because it, it doesn't really matter if they get a new job or if they get healed or if their relationship gets put back together. If they don't come to uh, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then, then all that stuff doesn't really matter. Because Jesus is the main thing. And Paul's saying, in all our prayer, that's got to be the, the core. Because God wants all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul ends this little section by saying, basically, pray instead of complaining or getting angry. I love, I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in uh, verses 8 through 10. He says, since prayer is at the bottom of this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. Wow. If we could just get that scripture down, dude, we'd be impressive. Instead of raising an angry fist at our enemies, ugh, let's lift up holy hands to God. Maybe you were here this morning and you, you might have seen some people during worship raising their hands. Why do you raise your hands in worship? You know, that, that's the international sign of surrender. <laughs> when you raise your hands, you open up your hands, you're saying, God, I surrender to you. You got a better idea on all this. I'm inviting your kingdom. I'm inviting your rule. You're, you, you have your way. You can't do this and this at the same time. It doesn't work. You can't have an angry fist and an open hand raised towards God. It just it doesn't compute. You know, last fall, I have a blog called My Life as a Wrestler. Um, I'm not like a, really a part-time wrestler. I just, questions. <laughs> and I, I wrote a, a blog last year called A Prayer for Obama. 
And I wrote this because there was a guy by the name of Stephen Anderson. You might have heard of him last year. He came out on the news. He was a pastor from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And he comes on, on TV. He says, I pray for Obama that he would get a brain tumor and die just like Ted Kennedy. <laughs> and when I saw this news story, I'm like, what? Like, I know this guy's reading the same Bible, but you got to rip out a lot of pages from the New Testament to, 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 to come up with the conclusion that that kind of prayer <laughs> is pleasing to God. I mean, like, you got to just, I mean, everything I talked about last week, you just got to completely rip it out. All the Gospels. I was just floored. Like, <sighs> and so I wrote a, I, I said, you know, how about instead of getting on that bandwagon, how about we just pray for Obama, that God would bless him. And so I wrote this prayer. And why don't we pray it this morning? You can agree with me in prayer. Because sti- Obama still needs prayer. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for President Obama. We ask that you would bless him right now where he is. Refresh him and renew him by your spirit. Let him feel your grace and your strength. We ask that even at this moment that you would lift the stress and anxiety from his mind and body. Grant him the wisdom he needs for this day in all the situations he's facing. Let him sense your presence and let his ears be open to what you are saying. We pray that every spiritual attack directed against him would be thwarted and that you would uphold him and protect him from those who would wish him harm. In the name of Jesus. I published that blog last September 9th. And within a couple of days, I had friends of mine, Christians, who emailed me were like, I can't be you telling people to pray for Obama, Obama that he, God blesses him? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm not saying... Praying for Obama means that you got to agree with his stand on partial birth abortion or his ideas on tax or Medicaid or whatever. I'm not saying any of that. Understand, Obama, he doesn't look like anything compared to the guys in Rome <laughs> back when Paul wrote this. You want to talk about some sick guys? The Roman emperors? Dude, sick puppies. I'm not even going to go into it on a Sunday morning because we got kids in the room. And Paul was saying back then to Timothy, he said, pray for our leaders. Are you kidding, Paul? Pray for, you know, Nero? That dude's a nut job. He's burning Christians. At the, you want me to pray for him? I'm not saying we got to agree with anybody we're praying for. But the Bible says to pray, to pray for him. Instead of lifting up an angry fist, that we pray, God, Bless him. I don't want to be the president. I, I can't imagine. I mean, just what Obama's facing right now. Get real. I mean, oil spill, economic crisis, I, threats on his life. I, I would not want his job for a minute. Do I agree with everything he does? No. I don't agree with a lot of it. But I can pray for him. You know, I... I Several years ago, I used to listen to a lot of talk radio and watch a lot of, you know, commentaries on cable news. I, I, I have to just abstain from that stuff now. 
Because you know why? When I listen to that stuff, it starts stirring up stuff inside me, and all of a sudden I want to get out my, you know. And instead of praying, I'm not, I'm, the prayer is the furthest thing from my mind. I just want to complain and get angry. And I think that makes Satan happy. Because instead of doing, instead of entering into the call that Jesus had from us, the call that existed all the way back in Genesis, instead of using our free will to participate with God's kingdom coming in, we have removed ourselves from the battle the moment we start doing this. Can I get an amen? All right, all right. It's getting quiet in here. (laughs) I want to look at a, a, a... cool picture of what intercession looks like you know that we, we're kind of talking about intercession for for our leaders but here's a real good picture of kind of what intercession looks like luke five, seventeen through 26 one day as jesus was teaching pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of galilee and from judea and jerusalem were sitting there And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came in carrying a paralytic on a map, on a mat, and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can, forgive, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easy to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what had been what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, what we have seen, we have seen remarkable things today. This is a beautiful picture of intercession. Here's a guy, he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. He can't do anything for himself. He's got to have people feed him. He's got to have people bathe him. He's got to have people help him use the restroom. I mean, he's, he's a mess. And this was back when, you know, you didn't have bedpans and all kinds of stuff. I don't even want to figure out how all that worked. <laughs> but he's a mess. He is completely dependent on the, the, the you know, good, good people being around him. He's completely at the mercy of having some, some people that will care for him. But this guy's lucky because he has some really good friends in his life. And they hear that Jesus is down at this house, and they think, man, Jesus is there, and and we heard he's healing people. If we can get our friend there, I bet Jesus would heal him. So what do they do? They figure out some way to turn his mat into a stretcher. And they, they eat, everybody grabs a corner, and they start taking him down to the house. Well, when they get there, the house is just, you, do you see all the regions that they came from? They came from all these towns. There was a crowd inside the house, a crowd outside the house, and there's no way these guys are getting in to see Jesus. There's people, there's walls, and so what did they do? Uh, let's get him up on the roof. So they figure out some way to get this guy up on top of the roof. They rip a hole in it, take out the tiles, whatever, and then they're looking down. They can see Jesus. But then they've got to be thinking, 
We can see Jesus. We can see our friend. How the heck do we get our friend down there? So they must have had some engineer in their group because they, uh, they figured out a way to, to lower him. They each grab a rope or something, and they begin lowering him, and they finally get him down to Jesus. And Jesus says, in, in doing his miracle, he attributes it to the faith of this guy's friends. That's a picture of intercession to me. Intercession is bringing our leaders, bringing our friends, bringing our neighbors, bringing our loved ones, those who are in a mess, bringing them before Jesus. But the thing we can see in this story is these guys, when they were bringing this guy to Jesus, they didn't see any barriers. They didn't let the fact that there was too many people there discourage them. (laughs) They said, well... There's a lot of people in there, but we're going to figure out a way in. I imagine they probably went to the windows. People were crowding the windows. They saw walls. But somehow, they, they didn't take no for an answer. They said, we're getting our friend to Jesus. We don't care what it takes. If we have to go through the roof. <laughs> and so that's what they did. See, I think... Part of our problem when it comes to prayer is we give up so easily, don't we? You ever pray for someone and, and you just, you, God doesn't show up. You don't see the thing answered. And sometimes that just frustrates us. I got to tell you, I, I've, I've, I've prayed for more people that weren't healed than people that were. But you know, there's been a few times where I've prayed for someone and God healed them. It was just a month ago, my daughter Tevia, she had a, Man, it was just aggravating. Like for six months, she was sick all the time. I mean, we were we were spending hundreds of bucks a month just on taking her to the doctor and getting her prescriptions. It was crazy, and it was starting to interfere with her social life. I mean, she and it was the craziest thing was it's like she would get sick on a Friday, <laughs> and she couldn't go spend the night with a friend. She'd be sick all weekend and miss school, and it was just like. So finally, you know, we we thought finally kind of got to a place where things were doing good and um then two weeks later she gets sick again and and i I don't know i just like maybe maybe this should have occurred to me a few months earlier (laughs) i was like this just isn't right i i i got fed up (laughs) and i went into her room i said tevia can i pray for you right now now i prayed for her before and nothing happened but i just felt like i'm supposed to do this right now and i gave her a hug and i said god heal her right now I just pray that whatever is attacking her be gone, that it be lifted. And in that moment, she was healed. Now, I'd like to say every person I've ever prayed for, it was like that. Most of them hadn't been like that. (laughs) But God showed up. And I think too often we take our discouragements with prayer, our unanswered prayers, the times we prayed for people, and and we just go, man, I prayed. God didn't do anything. Forget it. There was a wall there. (laughs) There was a crowd there. Yeah, we would have got our friend to Jesus. There was just too many people. Maybe next time. Maybe Jesus will be in our village. These friends of this paralyzed guy, they didn't take no for an answer. And they kept praying. They said, I know if we can get our friend to Jesus, he will be healed. He got more than that. He got forgiven of his sins, which is probably the bigger thing. <laughs> you know, I want to close with a little story here, and then, then we're going to pray. You know, when back in uh, 
probably 1992, I was not in a real healthy place in life. <laughs> I was addicted to things. I was going from one broken relationship to another. I was kind of trying to buy into all the, you know, I was, I was getting into music at that time, and I was buying into all the, all the stuff that went with music and, you know, rock star stuff, you know, trying to go after that. And my life was just really going down the tube. My mom realized this because at that point in my life, she invited me to Thanksgiving dinner. And I was so screwed up on chemicals at that time that I turned down a free Thanksgiving dinner, which you got a guy living on his own at age 20, and he turns down a free meal, something's wrong. <laughs> my mom, she was working up at a, she was a, at a Bible college up in Dallas, and they would have a chapel every morning, and she would get all the students there praying for me. But the more she prayed, the worse I got. <laughs> the more she prayed, it seemed like the worse my life actually got. And you know, kind of the high point was when I turned down dinner because I was screwed up. <laughs> She's like, something. But you know what? Just like those guys who brought that paralytic to Jesus, she wouldn't take no for an answer. She kept on praying. She kept on praying. She kept on praying. She invited other people to pray for me. She's like, maybe I just need more people praying. And so a few weeks after Thanksgiving, she got the call that I'd been beaten up in front of my apartment and had my jaw broken. And her reaction was not the typical reaction you would think of a mom. She put down the phone and began to thank God. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I know the end is near. I know that my son is fixing to find you. Well, God put that about a 30-day fast on me because they had to wire my mouth shut, which was a real bummer because I was waiting tables. So I had to serve people food, look at food, smell food. But I couldn't eat any food. <laughs> I was pretty pathetic. But at the end of, you know, at the end of about a little bit of that 30-day fast, I, uh, I finally... I finally surrendered to God. That's a picture of intercession. See, I think so many times, I actually heard Oswald Chambers say this one time. He said, you know, sometimes <laughs> we see somebody going through a hard time and we're praying for, for, for things to get better. And he said, you know, sometimes we're working against God. <laughs> sometimes God's using that to, to, to bring somebody to their knees so that the only thing that they can hold on to is the cross of Christ. And I think sometimes we, we give up because when we start praying for somebody, they start getting worse. Their circumstances get worse. And, and, and it's at those moments that we just need to say, God, I, I know things are looking bad. I know things seem, it seems like they don't need me on their team praying for them. But God, I'm going to keep on coming to you. I'm not going to take this as a barrier. Intercession, intervening on behalf of another people, another person, other people. I share all this today. I, I do not share this as, as one who has attained. This is not my gifting. You know, I know some people who are, my mom, she tends to be gifted in this area. Not me. I am not gifted. So I'm not speaking as, a, as an authority on this. But I can tell you, even in this church, I can tell you even in the past few months, I believe we're hitting a place where we, we can't afford to not pray. <laughs> we, if we weren't doing anything wrong, I mean anything good, <laughs> I don't think we'd be facing 
much resistance. But I, I find every time you start, start making some advances, that, that's where you do face the enemy. And, and, and I, I believe, I got to tell you, I, I mentioned this at a small group the other night. I can tell when folks are praying for me. You know, I can feel the grace of God upon my life. I can feel the wisdom of God. I can sense it. We got to figure out how to, how to, how to be better at that, <laughs> how to cut some time out of our days. And I got, I got to tell you, just doing this little pick six experiment for me, you know, praying for six people, you know how I start off my day now? My first thoughts in the morning, I just start praying for these six people. I mean, not, I'm not praying out loud. I'm just praying for them in my head. But I just start going. I start thinking. I start off my day by not thinking about myself. <laughs> That's a good way to start. <laughs> I just want to close. I'm going to get the worship team back up here. And I just want to close by, by doing a little intercession here to de- together. Okay? Is that all right? It's okay to practice what we're, we're talking about here? I want you to think of one person or a couple, you know, I mean, if they're married or whatever, you know. And I just want, we're going to worship, we're going to sing that song we sang earlier, Come Lord. And I just want us to invite God into their circumstances to reveal himself, to show up. So can you get one person in mind? And we're just going to close by doing this. And I'll give you your microphone back. So I'll just open us with a word of prayer before we get into this. And um, Father God, Lord, teach us how to pray, God. We, we just admit our weakness in this area, our lack, our lack of persistence. But God, we thank you that you've actually called us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, that we're not bystanders when you've called us to be a part. So right now, God, even as we we close this service, even as we worship, God, we want to lift up one or two people to you that need you desperately in their lives right now. And we're just going to take this time to intercede for them to, to, to intervene to bring these people to you, Jesus, that they can find your touch and your healing.
the Lord. Watch, I'll stand up and sing this. The God of glory. We just want to bring our friends to you, God. Lord, we bring these people to you, Jesus. Lord, in desperate need of healing, of your rescue, God, of your financial miracles in their life. Lord, those with broken relationships, God, those with addictions. Let your spirit be upon them right now, God. We pray against the enemy of their lives, God. The one who's trying to keep them in darkness and enslavement, God. Lord, we pray that you would break the power of that. Break the attack, the shame, the bondage, Lord. Lord, open up their eyes to the light of your truth right now, God. Stir in their spirits to cry to you, God. Stir in their hearts to open up their mouths and ask you in.
now we see these people God we envision them in our minds God even as the paralytic that the guys brought to you Lord we bring them in our mind to you Jesus we bring them to you let your kingdom come let your will be done Break through, Lord. Break in. It's in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus that we pray these things, God. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be glad to pray with you <laughs> up here at the front. Um, and I just want to encourage you that this week we do have some resources online that uh, are specifically geared around prayer and, and helping you in that. Um, just some scriptures, <laughs> some little things to just kind of jumpstart. It's available at our website, so you can check that out and uh, be praying. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all.